In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. Okay, so being Friday, what do people? A lot of people do on Fridays. They celebrate, get ready for the weekend. Maybe they have a few beers. Maybe you start your day off with a cup of coffee. In the spirit of caffeine, and in the spirit of, of booze, and in the spirit of changing your consciousness, I thought today we would talk a little bit about drugs. Right? We all do them. We all do them. Pick your poison, they say. What's your favorite poison? It's a good question. It's a good question. But I don't want to talk about just any kind of drug today. I thought we'd talk about a new type of drug that's been on the market for a while. And that type of drug... I guess it would be classified as no-tropics. N-O-O-tropics. No-O-tropics. And what this family of drugs claims to do is to make you smarter. Think about that. Kind of abstract at first. You're thinking like, what? There's a drug that makes me smarter? I wonder how that works. Well... Let's start with some of the drugs we know that people use that may make them a little bit smarter and try and think about the mechanism of action that would make them smarter. First off, you want to think about writers like Stephen King and Christopher Hitchens and you know, all, these, all these writers, at least when I was growing up, they were pretty big smokers. And what is the what is the drug in of choice of smokers? It's usually nicotine, right? And nicotine is almost like a neurotransmitter. 
And if you listen to some, I think there was a, I think that there was a interview with Stephen King where he talked about how much he smoked and how when he was writing something, he would smoke a lot. And if you've never been the smoker or you never had a cigarette, you're probably like, dude, that's just, that's just disgusting. And you're right. Cigarette smoking is pretty gross. However, it, it definitely does something to you. You know, at first it can give you like a buzz. Like if, when you first start smoking cigarettes, you, you get like a nicotine buzz. But then after a while, it's more of like a calming sensation. So it's definitely flooding part of your brain. The nicotine goes in, acts like some sort of a neurotransmitter and stimulates parts of the brain which seems to lead to a more creative process. So you could say that nicotine, while ultimately bad for your health, well, I don't know if nicotine's bad for your health. Smoking's definitely bad for your health. But the active ingredient that leads to creativity in cigarettes is nicotine. And while smoking's bad, nicotine may be an agent of creativity. So there's one. Caffeine, right? Again, people that tend to... Well, how many people wake up and have a cup of coffee in the morning? I don't know if that makes you more creative, but it might make you more productive. And I think you could argue that that is a level of intelligence that... That's kind of an abstract argument, however. You could say that being productive leads you to a better life, which would be a smarter way of living. I know, that's kind of reaching. So those are a couple of mainstream drugs people use to maybe make their life a little bit better. Not sure if smarter. Not sure if smarter. I would say the nicotine may lead to creativity. And then you start getting into today's writers. Like if you look at today's journalists, there's probably a pretty good chance they're like on Adderall. Adderall is like legal meth. If you take like if you take Adderall, I think the be- one of the best ways to describe it would be like kind of a clear-headed, extremely focused, high-intensity coffee buzz. But it, it's almost not fair to describe it that way because the level of focus and the level of energy is is makes coffee look like having a bite of chocolate does that make sense? I hope so on top of that Adderall lasts I don't know 8 hours you gotta remind yourself to eat you could say that a lot of the different drugs, they put you into a different state of consciousness, thus allowing you to see things different than you normally do. And that is what, in fact, creates the creative process. Big now, what seems to be big now is kind of psychedelics. And if you look at 
say mushrooms, magic mushrooms or psilocybin, for example, there's a lot of work being done out of John Hopkins right now that they've had a lot of success treating people with PTSD. They have had a lot of success helping people, helping stroke victims. And on top of that, what's awesome about that research is a lot of it is public. And you can see, you can read the reports and you can look at the brain mapping technology they've used to see kind of what's happening in the brain. And according to some research that I read, it's a lot of it's a lot of big words and it's a lot of stuff that you really have to kind of have you ever like you start reading something you're like I don't even know what that word is so you gotta stop look it up and you gotta go back to reading it and then you find another one you're like god dang man I, I'm not a doctor but anyways I'll try to spare you the technical jargon and break it down into digestible chunks that everybody can understand So in your brain, you have this thing called the default default mode network. If you think of it like a like a black box at the base of your back of your head, like that's where all like the circuitry goes through there, and then it kind of gets dispersed, and then it goes through these different channels, these big grooves that have been cut since birth. Like you've been creating these channels, which is a good way to think about that. Is have you ever gone skiing or you gone like to the top of the mountain, and there's like, hey, here's the here is the Devil's Run, and here is the Pike's Peak Run, and here is the Double Diamond Harvey Lemon Run, and here is the Tomato Run. There's all these grooves. Once you get to the top of the mountain, there's this sign, and there's all these cut grooves where people have already been going down the trail. That's, that's like the white matter in your brain. Right, there's already been these link, these these pathways carved into the white matter, and those pathways are carved by continually thinking and remembering and restructuring your memories. So you have these established patterns. Now, imagine if you you go to the ski slopes and you're the very first one at the top of the mountain. Now there's just fresh powder up there, right? There's no, even though the signs are there, there's fresh powder, there was a big storm, and now there's no grooves cut, right? There's no, there's, it's a clean slate. Okay, so most of us listening to this are, you know, way above 20, 30, 40, and we already have the grooves cut. So the default mode network is like, the chairlift and then it takes the the you get on the information gets onto the chairlift and it goes to the top so so the chairlift is a default mode network and then it disperses you out to all the the ski runs when you take mushrooms it shuts down that default mode network so you can no longer take that particular chairlift to the top of the mountain. So instead of 
No, now the chairlift's closed. So now you got to find an alternative route to the top of the mountain. You can either walk up the back way or, you know, maybe there's an old chairlift working on the other side of the slope that you didn't know about. So you got to go over there and take that one. Or maybe there's a helicopter. You know, there's other ways to get to the top of the mountain that you didn't know about because you've been relying on this particular chairlift. So as you're using the, the new method to get to the top of the mountain, be it the helicopter, be it hiking up the backside of the mountain, be it taking a snowmobile or be it taking a new chairlift, you begin to see new scenery. Hey, I never noticed that tree over there before. Hey, I never noticed there's a cabin over here. Wow, from this helicopter, things look a lot different from this point of view. So, it, when you take the psychedelics, when you take mushrooms, you can, you can begin, the more you take them, the more familiar you get with the new pathways to get to the top of the mountain. So let's say you, what, whether you're microdosing a little bit or whether you're, you've decided to say, hey, you know, once a week I'm going to take seven grams or whatever method people are choosing to do. You know, let's say you decide to do the seven grams once a week and you decide to focus on, hey, I'm going to take, I'm going to take the, the new chairlift route up every time now. So now you begin thinking different than you normally did, right? You begin seeing the different scenery consistently because once a week you're taking this substance that allows you to take a different route to the top, thus you see the new scenery. So you're beginning to think differently once a week. And now when, you're, when you don't take the mushrooms, Boom, your brain goes back to working on the default mode network. However, you're also aware of this other way. Right? You've create you've created this new run to get to the top of the mountain. You've created this new alternative. So now you can kind of switch between the default mode network and your plan B. You can switch to this other way of thinking. So you do that for a little bit. And you become comfortable and you become familiar with the scenery or the thoughts produced by taking the mushrooms. And now you can apply, you're able to apply a different thought process to different situations because now you have an alternative pathway. Let's say you keep taking the psychedelics, you keep taking the mushrooms and now instead of you've gotten kind of bored with the you know the the second chairlift and now you've decided to take the helicopter so you do that for a little while and you know just like the just like the first time you took them now you notice things from a higher point of view because you're looking down on them via the helicopter and then a couple months later you decide to walk up what I'm explaining is a form of hyperconnectivity that's happening in the brain. So you've stopped using the one you're familiar with and started exploring new routes. And thus, you've created new neural pathways. You've created new ways of thinking 
you've created different ways of looking at the world than you would normally do. And that is what creates the creative process. That is what allows you to to see things differently. That allows you to learn from things that may have been monotonous in your life. To see things, you know, it's like the old saying that says, some people see things the way they are. I see things the way they've never been and say, why not? You know, and especially, especially in today's world where we're so hyper-focused on, on abstractions. You know what I mean by that? Like, it's like we get so caught up in our own world of tunnel vision that we almost can't see the bigger picture. You know, if you take like a chicken or a, a hen or whatever, and you, if you have a bunch of chickens, you just put them down to the chalk line. Like you grab their head and you push them to the chalk line. That chicken will be, it's a weird thing. I don't know what they call it, but once he's focused in on that chalk line, he can't move. He's stuck. For whatever sort of bird brain inability to move, you know, whatever kind of wizardry or, or lack of ability to comprehend, or whatever, whatever it is, they're stuck on that chalk line and they can't move. And it's the same thing for us. You know, you start doing something. Get up, go to work, come home. 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 Like you, you get caught. You get stuck on this never-ending wheel and you can't get off. And so what some of these smart, what you know, if we argue that psilocybin or mushrooms is in fact a agent of change or a smart drug, you know, then you could say that the, the reason this is a smart drug is because it allows us to revisit different ways of thinking. It allows us to re-envision ourselves. It allows us to re-envision our environment. It allows us to, to maybe see ourselves the way other people could see us. And that, having the ability to see yourself the way other people see you, that's like a superpower. Because then you can get some real work done. You can get some work done on yourself that, and you could do it. You know, if, if, if you can get to that point where you're honest with yourself and you go, wow, man, you know what I figured out? I figured out the things that I don't like in these other people or things I don't like in myself. And once you figure that out, man, it's a game changer. That's a game changer. And I think that that comes from changing your state of consciousness. And I would argue that that's what psilocybin does. So that's, that's one of the smart drugs. Another class of smart drugs are called race tams. And it's you're like your paracetam, your nephrastam, your phenylparacetam, aniracetam. There's all these, it's like a family of, of nootropics. And what these do, these activate, man, I haven't read the literature on it for a while, so bear with me here. 
I believe that this particular set of drugs are more like a allow you to focus better as a whole. Now, each one of these drugs has has a little bit different mechanism, you know. So, Paracetam being the foundation on which the other race tams are built, to me it seems to have kind of a bit of a focus slash calming effect. And it's subtle. It's not like you take it and you're ready. It's not like a Adderall where you take it and you're just like all of a sudden you're chewing the inside of your mouth or you're like fence, your, your fists are clenched and you're just... You know, you're focused, and if somebody bothers you, you get upset. Like, those are some of the side effects of Adderall. But the Paracetam is more of a, like a, a really subtle focus. And Aracetam for me, I got, I've felt that my verbal fluency, my ability to recall words, I guess maybe the ability just to recall is heightened. But it doesn't last long. It's like a a couple hours, maybe two hours. At least for me, that's when I can really feel the effects. That that may be the initial half-life. I'm not sure. Um, Neferast. Neferast. That to me seems to be that was one of one of the ones I found most effective when I when I tried the the different race tams, and that one seemed to work on like the nicotine nicotinic nicotine receptors, or you know it seemed to do a little bit. It seemed to be a little bit like nicotine to me, which that could be awesome for smokers. Phenylparacetam, that's a different animal. Phenylparacetam, to me, is a... Uh, it's paracetam with a phenyl ring on it. So it, cl- it crosses the blood-brain barrier more effectively. But it, it, it has different effects. The effects of the phenylparacetam, to me, were... It... Have you ever been, like... Let me see. So, so I like to get tattoos. And sometimes if you get a tattoo, and if you're sitting there for seven or eight hours, your body almost goes into like a state of shock. And where, you know, for me, I start to get cold, you know, and then like you kind of start shaking a little bit or whatever. Phenylparacetam in that particular situation for me would, would ease the shock of the body. So it wouldn't, it would keep your body temperature a little warmer it would keep you from getting it kept me from getting cold additionally the mental clarity provided by phenylparacetam was vastly superior to any of the other race tams The thing about the race tams as well is is that there's I have found there to be no side effects. If you read the literature, they've been around for a really long time. 
and it doesn't seem to have any long-term lasting side effects. In fact, you know, I think with a lot of the smart drugs, you know, whether it be psilocybin or whether it be the race tams or, or some other ones that we're going to get into, I think that once you've created a, a more connected superhighway or once you've established new patterns of thinking or created new neural pathways... I think that there's long-lasting effects in a positive manner, right? Because that's what, you know, I had a friend of mine that his father had a stroke when he was young and he had to teach, the father had to teach himself how to speak again. And the way he explained to me how it was very difficult for him to watch and that it was sad, but ultimately it was awesome because his dad taught himself how to speak again. I'm sorry, how to speak again. You know, that, that interested me greatly. So I looked up and researched that a little bit. And basically when people do that, when people have a stroke and they can't, whether they, whether they lose their ability to speak or maybe they lose the ability to move an arm. And in the rare cases where people can relearn that, what is happening inside the brain is that there's, think of it as like a roadblock. What the information that used to go from one part of the brain to the other part of the brain is blocked off. So so you can't move your right side of the face or you slur your words because the neural pathway has been blocked or it's been severed or it's died. However you want to explain it, it, it doesn't work. So you have to you have to create a new like a bypass. The same way you would have like a bypass heart surgery where the valve goes over or like the you know, you get the bypass. You have to have a new neural bypass and you can, it can be done by relearning. That's what learning is, right? Like the repetition of mother, the mother of repetition is skill. Is that right? The, the mother, the mother of skill is repetition. That sounds better, right? Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. The mother of skill is repetition. So when you, when you learn something, the reason it's difficult is because you don't have a neural pathway for it. So if you want to relearn something, you have to create a new neural pathway. And that's what a lot of the smart drugs, I think, do have the ability to do. Which leads me down another kind of interesting pathway is that right now, if you look at Neuralink or some of the the ideas coming out of Silicon Valley or the tech industry or all these startups about having a chip implanted in your brain, like it seems to me like we're in a race between the biological evolution of our bodies and the mechanistic evolution of our bodies. You know what I mean? Like we are, we're beginning to understand the brain at a level where, you know, a lot of the people are like, look, let's implant this little diode or let's implant this, this chip in your brain so you can access the web via your eyes. 
Like that sounds That just sounds like That sounds like Dr. Mangala to me Like hey let's just Let me open up your head And then I'm gonna shove this microchip in here I'm gonna shove this Windows 75 right in your brain Don't Yeah it might crash maybe But then we'll just open up your head And we'll put in a new one Forget about the software crashes That's probably gonna happen Like not to mention like you know why they call it Windows, right? Because Bill Gates has a window into your computer. I don't want someone having a window into my head. I mean, I, they already have that with all my search history and stuff. But you want that in your body? That's ridiculous. So I, I think I kind of was meandering there. I think a lot of these new compounds people are... You know, you can take an organic compound or you can take a even a synthetic compound that can fundamentally change the way you think. Isn't that a better isn't that a better method of of evolution? Right? Isn't that a better way of of moving the ball forward than trying to implant this piece of hardware that's patented by a company that has made all of its money on surveillance capitalism that I'm taking I think I'll take the mushrooms versus the silicon chip wouldn't you I I think so I think it's crazy you know I, I hear you some people are like dude what do you know you're a truck driver I'm like, yeah. I'm a truck driver that reads a hundred books a year. When I listen to some of these guys in the in the tech industry or the finance industry, like it's, I was listening to these guys yesterday talk about, uh, like the future of finance and Bitcoin. And these guys are like in their their twenties, okay, maybe thirties. Maybe these guys were like thirty three. And this guy, the balls on this guy. This guy wrote an open letter to Ray Dalio. Like, I don't know a whole lot about finance, but I know that that guy is like, has $150 billion in his hedge fund. And here's these two swinging dicks talking about, well, you know, Ray, the, uh, you're really wrong on Bitcoin because, and like the guy, the guy, it, he he gave this really long-winded argument that was just based in logical fallacies supported by non-sequiturs. He's like, listen, I think if we... Def- this, is, was, this was his argument. Let me know what you think. Like, it was something... He started off... And I get what he tried to do. He's trying to set up a narrow definition so it's difficult to wiggle out of his argument but if you know that and you're in a debate with a dummy like that the first thing that that you have to do you have to get me to agree to your definition and i i don't think anybody would agree to his definition his definition was stupid he goes listen i think that we can define money as a tool okay that was the very first part and then he goes you know and the purpose of all tools is to save time like, that's a fucking retarded argument. 
right? First off, no one, no, I don't think, I think a lot of people would not agree that money is a tool. I think a much better, okay, let me, I'll get to my definition in a minute. So he says, I think money is a tool. That's one part of your argument. And then in the next breath, he tries to further define money by talking about the, the purpose of all tools. I think that guy's a tool. Right? You can't say, hey, the purpose of all tools is this. No, it's not. So not only did you have a poor definition, not only did you have a poor definition of money, but then you immediately used an abstract explanation of a purpose and then you create of all tools. Like, why the fuck would you say all anything? I think all these people are this. I think all birds are that. Hey, dummy, don't use the fucking word all. How about that? So anyways, like, that, like that's the first part of your argument. These guys were, they were, god damn it, these guys, I don't know. This guy's like, I was the CFO of this company. And I'm like, dude, you fucking argue like that and you were a CFO of the company? Like, no wonder our world is fucked up. You can't even have a goddamn coherent argument and you're the CFO of a company. So they continue talking and don't get me wrong, I like crypto. I want crypto to win. However, the more that I listen to so-called these young bucks that understand the crypto landscape, the more I realize it just seems to me like a bunch of young people all butthurt that the system sucks, which it does. It definitely sucks. A lot of people are losing. But it seems to me like these guys' solution is like, hey, we got to get rid of all these people on top that are cheating the system with this corruption we gotta get rid of all these people we're gonna start this new system where we can be in charge of the corrupt system you know like it does no good to tear down a corrupt system if you're just gonna build a new corrupt system that's just being that's just being a bitch and the more that their conversation continued they started throwing out stuff like like uh, in order to solve any issue you need to have a clear understanding of reality like think about that on one level that sounds pretty good yeah you should have a clear understanding of reality and then you look at this knucklehead talking he's like 33 and he went to some ivy league school or he went to school where he learned economics from a professor who learned from a professor who learned from another professor that probably never worked a day in his fucking life So if you want to have a clear understanding of reality, maybe you should define whose reality. Your reality at 33 of not having kids or a family or not having fucking worked for a living. Your reality of being a CFO that can't make a coherent argument. Or maybe the reality of an economics professor. Or I know, how about the economics of a Wall Street trader? How about their reality? Or what about the reality of a truck driver? What about the reality of a goat herder? You want to implement this digital system, this abstract level of currency. Like, how do you explain Bitcoin to a guy in a third world country that 
makes money grazing goats? Like, how do you explain to him this, hey, I have this magical virtual currency. That guy's gonna be like, what the fuck are you talking about a magic? I don't want your magic beans, bro. I don't want your magic beans. Then he goes on to talk about how he goes on to try and, and, and talk about scarcity and how we introduced the zero into the number system and how it how it like I get it. I get like zero is an important abstract idea. And he's right that adding zero to the numerical system in the West helped us out with mathematics in a lot of ways. But what the fuck is zero? Zero is, zero is the concept of nothingness. You want to build our financial system on the concept of nothingness? Like do you, if you just take a few minutes to think about that, That's a horrible foundation. Let's build our monetary system on nothingness. Like it just seems to me that there's zero philosophy, that there's zero, there's zero hard thinking that's gone into the world of finance. And like, these guys are chickens with their beaks to the chalk line. Like, I don't think you shouldn't even be able to be in finance until you have a family, you've stayed married, and you've had a job for 20 years. I think then you should be able to begin to become familiar with the levers of the monetary system. But not until then. Not until then. You don't know shit until then. Did I ever, did I give my definition of money? I think, it, I think the best definition of money should be a set of lies agreed upon. There's not a better definition of money than a tool like a tool is way too simplified anyways anyways I gotta I gotta go I gotta go into work like a man like a provider someone that builds something someone that works with his hands I had to go provide a service for people because they need things so my love goes out to every one of you who is out there doing something productive, who's out there trying to build something, who's out there trying to chase down some corruption, who's out there trying to make this world a little bit better instead of trying to build a financial vehicle that moves from A to B and just skims money off the top. Right? That's called a thief. And somehow, I went from smart drugs, went from drugs to smart drugs to finance. I don't know how I managed that. But I did. But I love you guys. I hope you have a great weekend. Um, I hope you. I, I hope you take a little bit of time to think about the, the nature, of our evolution as far as mechanistic versus. Organic, you know, versus, the organism versus the mechanism, and, um, man, if, go home and. Tell your partner you love them. Give them a kiss on the cheek. If you got kids, give them a big squeeze. and Try to focus on all the beauty in life. And, your... and just know that I love you. And 
I hope you have a great weekend. All right, everybody? Aloha. Aloha, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years. Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge. And I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now. And it's been so rewarding to me that... I would just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, Go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.